Well, happy Sabbath. Uh, I want to thank everybody for their support uh, recently that uh, we have had. This is a small community. It was a wonderful time last night at uh, Soup Supper to gather with a few folks. And this little church is uh, something that's been very meaningful for my family and many of our families here. And it's just good to get together. Sometimes there's more people, sometimes there's less people, but always a very high quality of fellowship here. So welcome to your church Sabbath. Um, our announcements, I wasn't given a list of announcements uh, here, and I'm not sure if we have any from the crowd. I can help convey those announcements, but we do have a parent project that's going to be starting January 22nd at the Springfield SDA Church on parenting classes. Um, as a father of five children, maybe that's something that I should attend. Uh, so that is available to us. Uh, we also have um, the routines in the bulletin that you can look up, uh, that you can see in there. Um, during, the, during the month, we have a kids' club routinely. We have our prayer meetings, and we have every Friday night our soup suppers uh, that continue out through through the year. Uh, today's uh, offering is for the lo- local church budget. If we could get our deacons uh, to come up there, and we will do our offering. Thank you for this congregation as we come together each Sabbath day to replenish our souls and to refresh our connection and our love with you. Uh, thank you for the offerings that uh, continually to give to build things around our church as we progress with our uh, children's investment with our playgrounds and our sidewalks um, and the future of your work at the humble beginnings of our childhood. Uh, Thank you for having a space in your heart for us continually. Amen.
I also want to say thank you for everybody's love and support. I didn't realize how um, strong my church family was until um, catastrophe hit. And so thank you. And um, my my sister's favorite color was blue. So that's why we have blue flowers today. And I had a couple people say, we're not having soup supper, right? And I said, oh, I need soup supper. So that's why we had soup supper. So I'm not going to read your story, but um, James asked me if I would, I, I kind of pulled Trump on him and I said, I'm changing your scripture. And he said, okay, then you go explain why. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> um, a while back, Wesson was really scared of the dark and he wasn't sleeping in his own bed very well. And... Sandy found this book in town, and she said, you want to borrow it, but I want it back because it's really good. And I said, okay, and so I wrote her name in the front of it and forgot to give it back to her. And I found it um, a couple weeks ago, and I put it on the counter so I could give it back to her. And um, this morning I saw it sitting there, and I threw it in the car. And um, on the way here, I thought, oh, maybe I'll read it to the kids. And I opened up to the first page. And Psalms 3.5, I thought was really fitting. It says, I can lay down and go to sleep, and I will wake up again, because the Lord protects me. Dear God, thank you so much for each person here. Thank you so much for our church family. Thank you so much for your guiding hand and um, your love and protection and guidance for each one of us in everything that we do. And walk, and um, I pray for the prayer requests, Lord, for the missionaries, for Dan and his weather and his planting and bebop, I believe, and um, the man's father and his nephew. Lord, I pray that you'd be with them as their family, that they'd, you'd bring them together, Lord, to unite under under your faith and believing in you. And I um, pray for our country. I pray for the decisions that are being made, Lord, that you would guide us and um, guide the decisions that are being made. And God, I pray that you'd be with the other requests that I forgot. And I also pray that, Lord, that you'd be with each unspoken request. I pray that you'd um, bring our church family, bring our family together, Lord, in a time of great loss. Sandy would want nothing less. And I just um, thank you for this day and your Sabbath and your name, amen. Now we got a children's story. been sick. I mean really sick. We've had owies before, huh? I have an owie and Mamie helped doctor it this morning, didn't you? It kind of helps when other people um, encourage us when we're sick or we're not feeling good and sometimes we go to doctors. Have any of you been so sick that you couldn't get out of bed in the morning? You just stayed in bed all day long? 
You have. Anybody else? Okay, a couple people. Well, this little girl, I'm about to tell you her story. She was so sick that she could not get out of bed, and she was in bed for many, many days. And her daddy was so worried about her. He was like, what is going to happen to my little girl? She's not getting better. And the doctors couldn't get her better, and she just kept feeling yucky. And then one day, her daddy said, oh, I know what to do. And he jumped up. He was sitting right beside her. He jumped up, and he ran down, down, down the steps. See the steps he was running down? And he ran down past his servants who were working for him, and he said, I'm going to go find Jesus. And he went to go find Jesus in the temple. So he ran up, up, up the steps to find Jesus. Because Jesus is the most powerful doctor this world has ever known. He healed everyone who ever, ever came to him. And Jairus had heard about him. So he went to Jesus and he kneeled down at Jesus' feet and he said, Jesus, would you come and heal my little girl? And what do you think Jesus said? Yes, absolutely. And he went straight away. And Jairus was really worried about his little girl. And so he was in a hurry. And when you're in a hurry, you walk fast. No dilly-dallying. No stopping to get a drink anywhere or stop to go shopping or play. He went fast. But Jesus was a very popular healer. And as he was walking to go towards where Jairus' little girl was sick, there were a lot of other sick people. And there's a picture of all the other sick people who were wanting to be healed by Jesus as well. And so, so they were, they were delayed. They're walking and walking and they kept getting slowed down because other people are going to them and saying, I'm sick too. Or I have an alley. Will you please heal me? And Jesus would stop and he would heal them because everyone was precious to Jesus. And so, how do you think that made the daddy feel? Kind of sad, a little anxious. Oh, we, we gotta hurry, Jesus. And Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry about your little daughter. So they made it to the house and Jesus saw the little girl lying still in her bed and he said to her, little girl, rise up. And what do you think she did? <gasps> she rose up. She sat up. She stood up. And she was healthy. She wasn't sick anymore. Jesus had healed her. And then Jesus said, <gasps> bring her something to eat. She's hungry. And that was the story. Look at the little girl with her daddy. Jesus, she was so happy. Jesus cares about every single one of us in our alleys and when we're sick. And he's promised to be our healer. All right, you can go back to your seats now.
For those of you that don't know the story of this hymn, I think it is very fitting. Um, it was a pastor that was um, preaching, and as he noticed in the church, there was a family that was missing. A little child wasn't there, so the good pastor he was, he thought he'd go on a visit. So he went to visit, and as he's entering the house, the physician comes out and says that the girl is not doing very well. He said, I will go there. And so as we sometimes do, he did a roll call. He was pretending as if he's in church. He says, Susie there? And there's like, oh, Susie was there. Bob was there. And then he asked the little girl, are you there? And the little girl just looks at him and says, Pastor, don't worry. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Amen. That's what she said. Amen. And that night, actually, she passed away. But he was so impacted by that that he wrote the lyrics of this hymn. It says, when the roll is called up yonder, she will be there. And I believe that Sam is going to be there too. So this is a very powerful song that we can sing. The roll is called up yonder, he will be there.
because he lives.
I just have to say what you were saying about praying about your family, your family having problems. My sister prayed for me and my brother <laughs> more than I can tell you. And we're here because of her. Don't stop praying for him, everybody. Thank you, Erwin. Thank you for that beautiful message behind the song. When the world was called up yonder, I'd never heard that before, and I love it. It just brings so much more meaning to the words. And I think that's the confidence that we can have this morning for Sandy. And in the next weeks and months, as we feel her presence missing uh, more and more, the initial shock, of course, is now, but I think we're going to feel it as we continue with life to know that she's gone. Our message this morning is providentially called Confidence in in Chaos. And that title um, was shared with Judy before any of this happened, but I think it's very appropriate for us this morning, Confidence in Chaos. Because death is chaotic, and losing a loved one is chaotic. It is ultimately chaos. And yet we have this confidence. And I think that confidence is found uh, all through the Bible, but it's found in the book of Revelation. So we're going to open up to Revelation. We're going to stay on course with our study this morning in Revelation chapter 1. But we're going to change the scripture. So Julie had a different verse that she wanted to share for the scripture reading. And I have a different verse that I want to share for our sermon uh, title or theme. And the verse we're going to look at is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. Uh, I think it's going to be a very appropriate verse for us. So as we do that, let's just pray again together. Father in heaven, thank you this morning again for your grace and strength and courage and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the author and the finisher and the forerunner. And he's gone to death and he's conquered it, not just for himself, but for us. And especially this morning for Sandy. Thank you that he's turned death into a sleep, an unconscious state only to be awakened by your voice and that resurrection morning. Help us to remember this beautiful, wonderful truth about you and how you've dealt with death in our lives. Help us to remember it as we read these verses this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 says, I, speaking, Christ is speaking here, I, Jesus Christ is saying, I am he that lives... And I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen? That's what it says. Amen? And I have the keys of hell and of death. I have the keys of hell and of death. You know what it means to have the keys to something, don't you? It means you have control. Like, if my wife wants to go home, she's got to come to me because I've got the keys to the car. Right? I've got the keys, and she came with me. And so Jesus is saying, I have control of hell and death. I've got the keys. I've got control of this. And I love that truth. And I love it because, first of all, of the historical content of this. John is on the Isle of Patmos. The Romans have tried to kill him. They actually put him in a vat of boiling oil. They tried to take his life, but they couldn't take his life. Now, normally, if you're put in a vat of boiling oil, you're going to die. You're just going to die. But guess who has the keys of hell and death? 
Jesus has the keys of hell and death. So guess what? It's not time for John to die. And so John is exiled to Patmos and he's there and nobody else is there. There's, there's no disciples. All of the disciples have passed on to rest. They passed on to sleep. John was like the youngest and he's, you know, aged now. I don't know how old he was, but he, he's aged now and, and he's on this aisle and you can imagine how he's feeling. He's alone. Everyone's gone. There's no family. There's no friends. There's no one around. It's just him. And I can imagine how he's feeling. He's like, oh, I just think I would like to go to rest too, you know. And Jesus says, no, it's not time yet. You have a work that I still have for you to accomplish, John, on this island. And I love that because ultimately God is in control. And and his timing is amazing. You know, last uh, we, I think we mentioned to you um, about the baptism of Wiley. Wiley was um, Sandy's youngest and of the two boys, Colby and Wiley. And he'd been raised an Adventist, but he'd never actually made the commitment to be baptized. You know, he's now 30 plus years old, right? And wife, child. And Sandy, of course, is praying for Wiley, praying for Wiley, praying for Wiley for years, and he's been through a lot of different experiences, but providentially, through the nominating committee, and Julie was part of this whole thing, you know, Wiley got to the place where the Holy Spirit was working on him, and he wanted to be baptized, and I had talked to him about that, followed up with him about that, and we talked about, you know, the preparation for baptism, and I, you know, even though he was raised in Adventist, like, you know, we still wanted to go through some prep, and so one day he calls me up. And he's feeling this, this, you know, his idea is, hey, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm ready for baptism. I'm not sure how much I need to read or study. I'm not sure I want to go through a bunch of studies. And I said, well, I want you to read the 28 fundamentals. So he said, how, where can I get those? So I sent them to him in a, in a, in a text, um, where he could go online and read them. And I don't know how much I mean, it couldn't have been more than a couple hours later. He sends me a text back and he says, I read the 28. <laughs> I, I don't know why I never read it before. They were great. I'm ready to be baptized. And I think that was on a Wednesday or a Thursday. And we talked with different family members about him being baptized with others and this, that, and the other. And that wasn't all working out. And he said, James, he said, I'm ready to baptize myself. I want to be baptized right away. And so the next night, Friday night, I called Pastor Dave, because we don't have a baptismal tank here yet. And I, so I called tap, <laughs> that was a hint, by the way, for the church board. Um, and I said, hey, can we do a baptism tonight, Friday night? Set it all up. And all the family came. Sandy was there, watched while they get baptized. It was a glorious experience. And so for me, you know, we didn't know... Dave was like, what? I was like, what? We didn't know why this was happening so fast, but but now we know. We look back and we realize that God has his hand in all of this. That God overrules everything. And that this was something that was part of uh, a blessing that Sandy got to experience and see before her passing to rest. And by the way, another verse in Revelation that I love, in Revelation 13, uh, 14, th- verse 13, we don't read it a lot, but it says, Blessed are they that die in the Lord from henceforth, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. There's a blessing pronounced upon those who are dying in the Lord because they're resting from their works. They're resting from their labors. 
But Revelation 1.18 tells us that Jesus has control. And I love this because as we go through the Bible, we realize that there's, there's antagonistic forces that are taking, um, trying to take hold of our hope, our belief of who we are. And one of the verses that we want to look at in relation to this is found in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. Excuse me, not Revelation 1 and verse 10. John chapter 10 and verse 10. And basically, the whole book of Revelation could be summarized in this one verse. And it's a very short verse, but it, but it clearly identifies the conflict that is taking place in which every one of us are involved. And also, of course, our beloved sister Sandy was in, involved in this. John 10 and verse 10, the thief, Jesus says, comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So from the perspective of our enemy, he comes to kill. He's responsible for death. God is not the author of death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that death is an enemy of God. That God is going to destroy death. Death is going to be the last thing that God destroys. Now you might say, well, well, but Sandy, Sandy's dead. Well, no, actually for the believer, God has turned death into a sleep. That's why Jesus says in, in the book of John, chapter 11, he's, he's dealing with Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and, and Lazarus' death. And, and he says to the disciples, he's not dead, he's sleeping. And they're like, well, wait, no, no, if he's sleeping, he's doing well. No, you don't understand. I've turned death into a sleep. For Lazarus, he's just sleeping. He is dead, but he's sleeping. And then he, and he, he's talking to Martha and, and Mary, and he says to them, you know, whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe that? And that's the question we have to ask this morning. Do we believe that? Because we're saying that Sandy has died, but Jesus is kind of contradicting that. He's saying, I believe Sandy believed in Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you believe in me, you'll never die. Do you believe that? You may rest. You may sleep for a season, but you will never die. Because I'm the resurrection and the life. <laughs> this is the message of the Bible. And that's why when it says that he came to kill and steal and destroy, Christ said, but I've come to give you more abundant life. So he can't actually kill you. He can't actually steal you. He can't actually destroy you. Sandy is not dead. She's sleeping. So she hasn't been killed. And as far as stealing goes, there's no way that you can steal from us all of the impact and the memories that Sandy has left for us in her life. They are alive in our hearts and in our minds. They motivate us to this day. They're, 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 they're living and breathing in, in action. The impact that she's had upon all of us. Some of us are here because of her impact. And we wouldn't be here. So you can't, you can't kill her. You can't steal her. And you can't destroy her influence. Because it lives on. And that's what Jesus is saying. It lives on. So you have no way of taking from me, Jesus is saying to the devil, those things that I've invested in those who believe in me. I'm going to give them life and I'm going to give it to them more abundantly. So then Paul brings the same idea to life. And I love this. First Thessalonians chapter four. And we're just honing in on what it means that Jesus has the keys of hell and of death. Because the book of Revelation 
you understand, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the book of Revelation is just a summation of the rest of the Bible. So in order to understand this one verse in Revelation 1.18, we must go to the rest of the Bible. We must see what the rest of the Bible has to say about hell and death. What is, what is it that, that Jesus is controlling here? We've read a little bit about it in John chapter 10 and, and in John chapter 11 and, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus has come to destroy death. Paul talks about what happens in the experience of the believer right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He begins with verse 14. Well, well, we'll begin with verse 14. He doesn't begin there, but we'll begin there. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Just like God brought Jesus forth from the grave, God will bring them forth from the grave, is what he's saying here. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven where they shout. With the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. Rick and I were talking about this last night. We were talking about the idea that the dead get a head start on us who are still alive. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's the way it is a lot of times, you know, we talk about the the competitive aspects of life because there's a lot of competition that goes on in life. And so Rick and I were talking about this last night and we were talking about how, yeah, the dead get a head start. We get caught up with them, but they get a little bit of a head start. But but this isn't like the beavers and the ducks. Like there's only one winner and a loser. We're all winners because we're all going to get caught up into the air with Christ. And we're okay. We're okay with them getting a little bit of a head start as long as we're there too. (laughs) It's okay if they get a little bit of a head start. In fact, we're thankful because when we see Sandy rise up out of that grave, when we see our loved ones rise up out of that dust, we're going to be like, yes! It's going to motivate us to be with them forever. So we, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, The verse that I left out is the one I really want to highlight right now because I think it's vital for us to be able to differentiate between what we're feeling in Sandy's loss and the way the world relates to death. It's verse 13. Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, which have died, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. There's something very important here that Paul is communicating. Paul is saying that we shouldn't sorrow like other people who don't have hope. Paul is not saying that we shouldn't shouldn't sorrow. He's not saying we shouldn't sorrow. He's not saying that there isn't a place for sorrow when we lose a loved one to death, to sleep. There is a place for sorrow. But we don't sorrow like other people sorrow. (laughs) Because we have this hope. We have this belief. We have this this beautiful picture that pierces through the grave, pierces through the tomb, and gives us a victorious Savior who in whose arms we know Sandy now rests. We have this belief that when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. <laughs> that she will be there. And so Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I don't want you to sorrow as others do. But he's not saying I don't want you to sorrow. 
Sorrow has a place in our experience. And we're feeling that right now. Jesus felt that at the tomb of Lazarus. He wept. And there are many reasons why he wept. But the shortest and most powerful verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, tells us of the sorrow that has been brought to the heart of God by the separation that takes place between us and our loved ones. And ultimately, Jesus experienced that separation on Calvary. Jesus was not able to experience, as we know, the wicked will finally experience the second death. Because for Jesus, God's presence was not a consuming fire, like it will be to the lost. For Jesus, God's presence was everything. The only way I can I can try to relate this is, you know, when you're out in the world, when I was out in the world doing my thing, being in a religious circle and going to church was very uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. But when I found salvation, Jesus Christ, being in the Bible and being in church, being in a religious setting is where I wanted to be. It's where I felt comfort. It's where I felt help and solace. And that's how Jesus lived his life. And so the worst thing for Jesus, as he came to the culmination of his work of salvation for us, was to be separated from the people that he loved, his disciples. Was to be separated from his mother and his family. And was to be separated from his Father in heaven. That, to Jesus, was more painful than anything he could imagine. In fact, before the mob came, before there were there were any soldiers or accusing priests, before there were any nails in his hands or in his feet, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was sweating great drops of blood. And the mental agony involved in that physical experience is beyond comprehension. And he felt that because he felt a separation that was taking place between him and the Father. And we are feeling that. And it's okay to feel that. Because that reminds us of the love we have for someone that we've been separated from. It's okay for us to weep and to mourn. It's okay for us to shed tears. In fact, we must, we need to, because it is an evidence that the image of God is being restored in our hearts. To be cold and indifferent, to pretend to be men, to be callous, is not what God would want for us at this time. It's okay for us to sorrow. Jesus sorrowed. Jesus wept. But we don't need to sorrow like others who have no hope. We have this hope that lives within our hearts, hope in the coming of the Lord. We believe the time is near. And it is near. We know that Sandy is in the hands of God. We know that. Because Jesus just told us that he has the keys of hell and of death. We know Sandy is in a good place. We know that because Revelation says, Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord from henceforth, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. We know that Jesus is, that Sandy is resting, not dead. Because Jesus told us, If you believe in me, you will never die. We know that this state of resting isn't permanent. We know that because Jesus says, I'm going to destroy death. 
we know that Sandy will be resurrected and that she'll have a head start on us. We know that. Right, Rick? We know that. She's going to go up and we're going to meet her (laughs) because the dead in Christ rise first. We don't have any issue with that. No issue at all. Because we're just going to be glad to be there with her. And there's nothing that can make Sandy more happy than to know that we're all going to be there on that resurrection morning. Every single one of us. There's nothing that can make her more happy than that. So in her memory, in recognition of her fondest dreams and hopes, her prayers, we stand with that young girl and with the inspired words of that hymn, And we say together, when the roll is called up yonder, we'll be there. We will be there by the grace of God. I think we should close with that hymn. Would that be all right? And we can all stand together as we sing it. When the roll is called up yonder, we'll be there. Let's stand together. 216? 216.
that Sandy Henton is resting by faith in your arms. That she is blessed. That she's in a good place. And that someday soon, as she is resurrected by your voice, that we will meet her in the air and ever be with you. Our sorrow now is just a foretaste of that love that you put in our hearts for one another. The desire never to be parted. But it's not sorrow like the world sorrows, without hope and despair. It's a sorrow that, that will miss Sandy, extremely miss our sister, our mother in Israel, our grandma, our friend. But it's a sorrow that has the hope that you are the resurrection of life. memories and feelings. We can talk together, we can weep together, we can fellowship together. So I invite you to do that with us. And God bless you this week. Amen.
end. Once again, the scene was changed. New earth there seemed to be. Nice. I don't know. It. Is that how it goes? Hushed were the glad hosannas, the little children. The sun was dying with was cold and chill The shadow of a cross arose Upon a lonely hill The shadow of a cross arose Upon a lonely hill Jerusalem
Sure. Shall sing. Shall we gather at the kitchen? Shall we sing? Shall we eat? It's a. Uh... 
This is this is food for me. <laughs> food for me. Which one were you thinking? Oh, yeah. Crying. 